Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Becoming. I'm Katherine Tang, and for this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Brett Christopher, the managing artistic director of the Thousand Islands Playhouse. Brett's journey has definitely been full of twists and turns, but as you'll hear in this conversation, he is a pattern of taking on any opportunity he can and trying it out fully. He's also intensely reflective, and that's really fueled how he's built the life he has today. I can't wait to share his story with you. All right, so Brett, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Just to get us started, could you tell us uh, who you are and what you do? You bet. So I am Brett Christopher, and I am the Managing Artistic Director of the Thousand Islands Playhouse, which is the uh, biggest theatre company, especially venue-based theatre company in southeastern Ontario. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's it's a annual operating budget of $2.6 million. Wow. That's a lot. That's fun. It's a lot of money to spend. Yeah, and earn in any given year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you're the managing artistic director, um, and I really want to hear a little bit more about what that is. But before we do that, let's um, sort of turn back time and talk a little bit about what you were like as a young person, as a student. (laughs) Um, Because this, you know, this podcast is about becoming. So we'll find out you know, who Brett Christopher is later, sure. but um, how on earth did he get to this place that he is currently yes. at? Oh, uh, you know, like I was actually, I, so backing up, I didn't actually do a play till I was 21. So I didn't really, act, yeah, I actually was not, uh, in any way involved in dramatic art, like performing arts, until then, I was very much like in high school, pretty much like middle of the road, quietly did my own thing with my group of friends, wasn't really that good at sports, wasn't really, you know, like kind of never really fully invested in one direction, just nor the band one direction, either of those hmm. things. Uh, so you didn't I was, do any like high school productions or no, anything like that? No, I, I actually, I, interestingly, now that I think about it, I did visual art. When I was in high school, but like, again, not fully invested in it, just kind of like dabbled in it, took classes and, you know, took some, some of the courses in it. And it wasn't until I was 21 where I did a play and went, oh my gosh, this is really fun. The kids actually, when I was in high school, the kids who did drama were, I always sort of saw them at the end of the hall wearing their black clothes and drinking coffee. And I was always kind of a bit <laughs> nervous of that end of the hallway because it was very kind of animated and loud. And did you go to school here in Kingston? Uh, I did not. Originally, I went to high school in Toronto. It's sort of, okay. it's a, it's a circuitous route. I did high school in Toronto. I went to Trent University after doing that for two years. Uh, bailed out, flunked out, failed out pretty badly. Uh, just because I, I think it was sort of the release of going to university and not necessarily being ready. Um, okay. And so, you know, took a bunch of courses, but for the most part, indulged in life other than class. And uh, when that two years was done, I basically went home and that home in the interim had moved to Kingston. My family had moved to Kingston in the interim. So I went. Yeah. So that's how I actually ended up in Kingston as like a 20 year old, having kind of flunked out of two years of university and looking at myself in the mirror and saying like, Okay, man. Uh, so, what uh, on earth are you doing? You know what? What's this path? You're now 20, so you should start to think a little bit about what you might want to do for your life. 
And, uh, you know, I, again, it's kind of, it goes on from there, but I, uh, I went back to high school. So after two years of university, I did a year at KCVI. That is really interesting. Yeah. And it was because I was a bit directionless and my parents certainly were going to let me live in their basement and do nothing for a year. So I said, okay, well, when I initially did high school, I was a real like Englishes and histories, like humanities student. Okay. And so I said, I'm going to go back to high school and I'll do, uh, at that time when there's OACs, I'm going to do grade 11, biology, chemistry, math. And then I'll take all completely the- different from what you were yeah, doing. I was before. like, I, I don't know anything about chemistry, biology, or mathematics, so I'm going to completely do that side of things. And I took uh, like like my homeroom at KCVI when I was 20, 20 years old was grade ten biology. So my my partner was actually a 15, 15 year old girl who I think looked at me like, what a loser! Who is this guy? So I'm curious, how was that like for you, being you know? quite a bit older and you know at that age it's five years is a huge deal yeah like, how was that experience for you i to be honest i wish everyone could have that experience because when i went back i assumed that i was going to be like you know you're 20 years old you've had some life experience and you feel like you're going to go back and be a bit of a king right the king i never was when i was <laughs> in high school as a regular aged high schooler and the irony is i went back and i was the exact same person It was like, Mm. we just are, I really feel we are who we are in those situations. You know, there are certain people that uh, jump up and down and want to stand out. There's other people who quietly kind of cower in the back of a class or like are much preferred to just have their nose in a book. And I was, again, a kind of middle of the road guy. I just happened to be 20. Mm. (laughs) I was like just the older version of that same self. Uh, So it was really interesting. But it was during that year that I actually did a play at KCVI as a 20 year old. And that is how I got hooked into this whole existence, the theater existence. Yeah. So what what play was it? It was Anne of Green Gables. So coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, the Thousand Islands Playhouse where Brett works is actually going to be putting on Anne of Green Gables this summer as part of their 2019 season. Uh, hilariously, the the woman who played Anne, Shalina Kennedy, is now like a major Broadway star, and Mev Beatty, who played Marilla, is a major like award winning star in Toronto, like theater actor in Toronto. Both of them and myself, I guess, all continued on in theater like for our profession. So it's a very unusual situation. So that was a very pivotal play for all of you. It was. It was, and I mean. They were much better than I was. <laughs> In fact, somebody uh, they, uh, a couple of years ago, somebody contacted me because they knew that I was working in Kingston and theater and said, oh, I actually have a, a I, I had v- taped that on VHS and I now have a DVD copy. Do you want a copy of that play? And I, you know, oh went back and watched it 20 years after the fact and went, oh, my gosh, they were so good. I was so bad with my gray <laughs> spray painted gray hair and fake uh, fake uh, wrinkles on my forehead, but all, all that having been said, it really was in that experience. And a lot of those people, um, who were involved in that show were still around Kingston. That was a very pivotal thing for me to experience 
creation and a group dynamic and the the environment of theater, which is such an environment born out of love and friendship and and open mindedness. And and there was some something in there that really struck. It wasn't even necessarily standing in front of people and getting accolade, like getting the the applause at the end. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that a group of people would come together and create this thing. I couldn't have eloquated that at the time, but now looking back, however many years later, 20 years later, I can <laughs> more than 20 years, actually 25 years later, I can think to myself, wow, that's like, that was a really pivotal experience for me, just my human self to, to say like a group of people. I guess it would be the same thing if you were really big into team sport uh, or even going to war, you know, where you sort of have this really intense experience with a group of people and they become... Uh, you know, you really understand the, the nature of a, a group effort or like an ensemble effort. So yeah, it was, exactly. it was a big it's moment. like camaraderie. Really? Like a really tight camaraderie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know this is sort of a, a bit of a tangent, mm-hmm. but in high school, I was very much into music and, and band. And mm-hmm. that was, you know, those are my people. And um, yeah, it's just such a huge part of, of my high school experience. And I can imagine that that was probably really huge for you too. Yeah, I've always said... You know, so when I sort of think about now leading an arts organization, I always think, oh, good way, like how important arts education is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it does not need to ever lead to becoming a professional musician or professional theater maker or any of these things. It's just the, the experience of working with a group of people on a singular piece of art or a singular uh, experience can be life-changing and life-altering in the way that you see, you know, your need of other people to create a whole, like that whole expression that the, you know, whatever the sum of the parts is, you know, what that expression. Yes. The the sum of the parts is more than. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. That's the one. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I know even like as an arts educator, like being able to see kids come together and produce something, it is grueling, very difficult, tiring work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then at the end, you know, everyone's on stage and you're just so proud of this thing that you've created. Yeah. And and, and that's what I'm saying. It's like you realize that the experience is actually less about the product that you've created than it is the entire process that you've gotten Mm -hmm. to making that, Mm -hmm. that product. And it's the same with the plays that we make at the playhouse, as much as it's like, we're making a play, we're selling tickets, people are watching it. The experience of being the rehearsal hall and creating something as a, as an ensemble is an, is an incredibly human and exhilarating experience. And, and for many actors, I think, it is, is a more important experience than the act of putting on the play, like like performing the play. It's the act of making it together. Mm-hmm. So I guess going back to um, after your year at KCBI, what, uh, where did you go after that? Yeah, so I finished at KC. Uh, I applied to occupational therapy at Queen's. Because I at that point I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I figured it out. I had in the interim started working at Easter Seals, okay. uh, at the Easter Seals camp in near Perth, Smith Falls, uh, Marywood camp, mm-hmm. which I ended up working for ten years at that camp. But I uh, realized that I really loved to work with children with disabilities, and I was like really focused in that universe. So despite the fact that I had done this play and had this experience, I thought I'm going to do occupational therapy. I didn't get in. Uh, which is funny because I've later met the head of that program and said, like, you, you saved my life by not letting me into that program. You, you sent me on a path. Um, 
And I ended up taking like a sociology degree at Queen's. So despite the fact that I'd been at Trent and not had a strong scholastic career there, I actually ended up doing a degree in sociology at Queen's. And while I was there, spending a lot of time in the drama department, sort of dabbling in, in the various opportunities there, there, of which there are many. You just couldn't get away from theater. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. It was it was like the ultimate hobby at that point, mm-hmm. I think, or the ultimate uh, pastime. And I, I actually think now that I know many students at Queen's who are in drama, they it's the same thing. They're working on three shows at once. They're like, it's like a drug, right? The idea of of making a play with a group of people and telling a story like that is, uh, is a really, um, has an addictive quality to it. Yeah, for so, sure. So, so, and I, and I'll sort of keep it tight. I know we don't have, we don't have hours, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, so when I left, when I left Queens, I graduated from Queens. I actually still was a bit directionless. And th- this is a theme through my entire whatever career life or educational to career life it's a bit sort of like searching right Mm -hmm. that constant searching of like what's the thing that really invigorates me but i know like it needs to become a career it needs to be something that eventually will support a family or whatever my goals at that point were and they were to to have eventually have a family so i uh, bought a restaurant you bought a restaurant i did yeah i came into a bit of money (laughs) through inheritance not a not a i million dollars by any stretch but a little bit of money through an inheritance and uh there was a restaurant in downtown kingston that had was had just closed and no one was doing anything about it so i walked in it was a place that i used to go as a queen student for breakfast where was this and place it was on wellington street it's called the runcible spoon cafe huh and it uh i didn't it was, it's like the dumbest thing and also the most <laughs> wonderful thing to try because it is a terribly difficult business. Like running a restaurant is a really, really uh, arduous business. And to be honest, I thought, wow, this would look really cool. And I, you know, like, again, it's kind of like, oh, my friends are going to think I'm kind of cool because <laughs> I own a restaurant. And it's kind of like, you know, it's something you see in the movies, the restaurateur guy. With zero Really, experience. actually, with, with, <laughs> yeah. I was like, a, I had been a waiter. That was kind of it. I think what I really wanted to do was like act in a movie where I owned a restaurant. Ah. But instead, I was like, well, I can't get that part in a movie. So I'm going to go and actually just buy this little restaurant. So I did that for a couple of years. Uh, did it do well? It, you know what? It was very successful, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and so I like... I you know not to tell tales out of school, but it's like I owed so much money to the CRA because I didn't know what I was doing. I owed money to staff. I like eventually like my food costs were too high. So we weren't mm-hmm. actually making any money. I was just the idea of making food and selling it to people is like was kind of mind blowing to me that people would arrive and like buy dinner and we'd hand it to them and it'd be like, oh, wow, we made that thing. So, again, it's kind of there's a creative aspect to that, yeah. too. You know, there's sort of, which I think is a theme through all of these things. The things that really excited me were things where I could get my hands in the act of creation and really working on something. And uh, so as that project was coming to its inevitable poor conclusion, yes. <laughs> which, which it, you know, somebody who doesn't have the experience to run a restaurant really should not run a restaurant. Um, even people that do have experience, they aren't necessarily successful. So I, uh, I, thought to myself and and I'm not sure how long I really spent but I thought to myself I need to really think about the last 
you know, five, six years, Queens and prior, and the things that really excited me. Like, what are the, again, searching, what are the things that really got me going? And and the thing that I always reflected back on as my happiest experience and the thing that really drove me was was making a play, like making, performing, really, the, the act of making a character and performing that in a story. And so I applied to theater school. Uh, I applied to Sheridan Music Theater College, George Brown Theater School, like all the sort of major Toronto-based theater company, theater schools, and got in. I don't know how I got in because I didn't know what I was doing. You were like, this guy um, run, ran a restaurant. He knows what <laughs> Honestly, I actually think like because for the most part, those schools are populated by people who are coming right out of high school. So here I was at this point. I was now 25. I had a degree. I'd run a restaurant, owned a restaurant and done all these kind of crazy things. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they were like, well, this weirdo will bring something to the school. Who knows what? So I went and spent three years at George Brown Theater School, which is like classical theater training. So uh, a lot of like. In very intensive voice work and movement work, and we worked on Chekhov and Shakespeare and Shaw and and a, and, and a lot of contemporary Canadian stuff and TV and film and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Kind of went on and graduated and sort of determined a path of being a professional actor. So that was and I and I spent about a decade in Toronto as a professional actor for all of the challenges, the highs and lows of that uh, of that existence. And at that time, you know, you had talked about how you're feeling very directionless prior. Did you feel during those 10 years like, yes, this is what I'm meant to do? Again, I think so much of my my path and, and if there's any sort of thing that I, I think people could glean from this story is that it really was about just this constant. It was not a straight line by any stretch. Mm-hmm. And it's this constant you know, well, this is something that I might try or this is something that I might try. And like an opportunity would come in front of me and I would just take it. And an opportunity would come in front of me and I would just take it and try it out and try it out like fully and then go, wow, this is this is crazy. I don't think I can accomplish this. I'm going to move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. So, you know, while other people that I know, um, you know, in high school said, okay, I'm going to be in business. And so I need to get this, these marks to end up in Queens commerce or, you know, at, uh, at Western. And that's going to lead me to this. And it's going to lead me to this. And I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to da, 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 da. I was much more on the path of, uh, I'm just going to try different things. It's kind of that same idea of going back to high school and taking a bunch of sciences and maths and just continually like tasting different things and seeing like, What's the thing that I really like and that I can really invest myself into at the level of building a career around it? Because I, I honestly am a huge proponent of if the thing that you're doing as an occupation doesn't, at the end of the day, make you happy or make you feel like you're just accomplishing something uh, or even building something for the rest of the world, then it's probably not going to satisfy you. You're probably going to need other things in your life to satisfy you. And that can lead to, you know, a whole bunch of other problems. I would say try and find an occupation, a career that satisfies you in some way that you feel fulfilled. Does that sound cliche? No, I don't think so. And I I think that, um, you know, there are, 
there's this sort of spectrum. There are some people who, you know, they have this really clear idea of what they want to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of what happens, that's what I'm going to do. But I, I feel like as a, even as a society, like we, we do need to take, take life up on those opportunities, right? Because we never, like there might be things that we never had considered that we then find out this is actually something that really resonates with me and that I, I love. I mean, when I was in high school, I said no to everything related to business because I had a perception right. of what it was about. And then I realized, oh, this is actually something really interesting, but I had never mm-hmm. opened myself up to that before. So it's, I think that's a really great message to say that, um, you know, trying a whole bunch of things, exposure to different opportunities, and then just seeing what, seeing what fits. Yeah. not trying to, you know, there's a whole bunch of stereotyping around and a specific occupation as well. It's like, that's this type of person. I'm not that type of person. Mm-hmm. And I think then you shortchange yourself as to what sort of uh, opportunities you might find. And exactly as you're saying, like, I wouldn't consider myself, the irony is I really wouldn't consider myself a business-minded person. But as I've landed into this job, the bulk of my day is spent in business, you know, that's I went and spoke at Queen's MBA a month ago and I was standing there saying, I am a like this is not I, I wish I had an MBA, but I never was going to take that path to the MBA because I presumed what somebody with an MBA is like, you know, and that was not me. But here I am speaking to the MBA class about my experience. And, you know, that just was how I ended up getting into business it's you know i assumed business people were a certain way stuffy you know always had to wear a suit etc but i i think that that is to shortchange what the idea of business is and the same with the arts people think of the arts as being a very specific thing being kind of like who those are the like as i did in high school my initial tour through high school Mm -hmm. those are the kids at the end of the hall with the black turtlenecks to the drink coffee (laughs) and they're weird and loud but the truth is the people that i've met in the arts are some of the most brilliant thinkers they're athletes they are you know, they are also extremely shy people that use performing arts to express themselves. There's there's millions of different types of people that are in every single industry, every single occupation. And, and I think that that's why the idea of sampling, you know, if, if, if this is about becoming, it really is more about sampling and trying things on and continually challenging yourself to go like oh this is a new thing and why why don't i try this and why don't i try that and and eventually something will stick or something you know or maybe it'll be i'll do this for five years and I'll move on to another thing too and i really like that the idea of there being so much diversity even within a particular occupation like not mm-hmm. all actors are the same not all teachers are the same and um yeah so i'm i'm curious when did you make that switch or transition from acting to more directing there was a time when someone said to me when I was in Toronto, wow, you, uh, you've had a great year, right? And so you're in a, it, it's a reasonably small community, mm-hmm. the theater community in Toronto. Uh, and they said like, you've had a great year. You really are, are out there. You know, you've done this show, you've done that show. And uh, I think that year, you know, when I did my taxes, I had made like $18,000 for the year. The whole uh, year. Yeah, yeah. In making theater yeah. uh, because I did a whole bunch of other Joe jobs to like fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure that, you know, if I think back to who 
I am and what I really want to achieve in this life beyond my occupation. Like I want to have a family and I want to have children and I want, you know, to have a house, <laughs> like all the other weird trappings of capitalist society. I, uh, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure that this is, this is something that I can sustain. And, and, you know, I, I hadn't been an actor for one year. I like, it was, it was a good seven to 10 years of being just a straight theater actor uh, that I was like, I, I don't think for whatever reason, whether it was talent or looks or luck, I was not going to get to the place where I could do just that full time and make a living that I felt comfortable with financially. Mm -hmm. So then I started to seek other things and, and kind of diversify my own skill set. And that included direction. So directing work, um, which is... The, different, the, the real difference, the nuts and bolts difference between a director and the actor from a life perspective is, you know, as an actor, I will go away and do a show and I will be there through the entire rehearsal process, which is, depending on where you are, the general rehearsal process is about three weeks in Canada. And then the run of the show, which could be up to, say, five, six weeks. So you're away for nine weeks, whereas a director is only there for the rehearsal process. So it's only three weeks. I didn't so know when that. I. Yeah, so the director leaves at opening night, right? They're, they're done. Their contract ends. So I, as a person who was getting married and having children at this time, and there was that that draw away for work, like leaving the city to go to work, but a director is only gone for three weeks as opposed to an actor's gone for, say, nine weeks. Uh, so that it's a much more attractive. As, as a dad or a husband, it's actually a much more attractive side of the business occupation. And were you still in Toronto at this time? I was. Yeah, we were still in Toronto at this time. And 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 the other component was I was Joe jobbing a lot doing admin for whatever reason. I don't even know how I fell into it. I just happened to be Joe jobbing like, you know, sort of ancillary money, trying to make money elsewhere, uh doing administration for theater companies and supporting theater companies. And so I started to kind of build that skill set as well, starting to understand a bit of the stuff behind the scenes and what things cost and how companies operated and the challenges of, of administering a not-for-profit and all of that, working with boards, board of directors. And so all of that stuff kind of melded together to some degree in the job that I'm in now, all of, those, all of the, that learning. And so now um, you're the artistic director at the Thousand Islands Playhouse. Yeah. And so what does what does that mean? Well, I'm actually my title is actually managing artistic director and okay. why it is that not just artistic director is it's actually an amalgam of two jobs. Uh, one yes. is the Cuz yeah, you, so you used to be the general manager, right? I was. I was yeah. hired uh 2 years ago, just over 2 years ago as the general manager. So generally or in the past, theater companies have been double-headed CEO, two-headed CEOs. One is general manager who is responsible for all like the business side, the administration, the marketing, all of that stuff. And the artistic director is responsible for building the artistic teams, choosing the programming and really uh, to some degree being the face of the organization, the artistic face of the organization, like the, the, the lifeblood of the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my, my, the woman I worked with as an artistic director, Ashley Corcoran, got hired at the Arts Club in Vancouver, which is a significantly bigger company, $15 million operating budget company, wow. an amazing company. 
And the board was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to have to go through the process of hiring a new artistic director, which is very challenging. And I said to them, you know, the truth is I'm actually <laughs> more an artistic person than I am a management person. And they said, well, you're doing a good job as a manager. That's great. And then I suggested a new way of running the business, which other companies have attempted and done. And other companies now that this thing is starting to take flight have actually um, set in motion in their own uh, organizations. But the idea of a, a single position, much more like a corporate role, like a CEO role mm -hmm. who manages both sides. So I run all of the artistic components like choosing the plays and picking the directors and supporting the casting process and all of that stuff. Uh, and then I also manage the budgets and the marketing and the administration. And it's kind of interesting to see the way that, you know, all the experiences that you've had have kind of prepared you to take on a, a role like this, which is an amalgam of those two positions. Yeah, it really is. And, and I, and I, when I took on this role, so just over a year ago, I took on the dual role and I realized that so many of these little components through my, you know, since I basically left high school for the first time mm -hmm. uh and that would be 27 years ago all of these things had been building to this moment and my gosh i'm still learning every single day my wife even now says when i come home and i'm talking about accounts payable and you know am amortization of the 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 she's like it's amazing even what you've learned in two years but i'm yeah. like that's it right that that's just uh to settle I think is a big mistake to try and settle into like, okay, I know everything I'm done. I can just now sail till I'm 65 and I will get retired and I will go to Florida and be done with it. I think it's, it's a very different way of operating, which I think is an exciting way of operating. There's constant learning, this constant reinvention, this constant like investigation of how can I be better? How can I do my job better? But how can I run a better organization? How can I, uh, you know, build a stronger staff. It's it's sort of all integrated in a way. And do you feel like it's really hard to have two roles that used to be separate and then have to do both of them in terms of just like workload and that sort of thing? I mean, workload is an issue, but part of the uh, the change that we made was actually to rebuild the whole administration mm -hmm. to accommodate that. So it wasn't like two jobs became one and there okay. you go. And you're now working 90 hours a week. It was more, let's rebuild um, the company so that the roles are more defined. The administrative roles were more defined because some of these not-for-profits, like people add tasks onto a basic role and then they end up with a job that's just kind of like, a whole series of tasks that yeah. they have to do, but not a specific purview, like a job where they go like, I am a producer or I am a marketing manager or I am, you know, uh, it's just kind of like, okay, you're responsible for making sure there's food on that table and you're responsible. So when we went back in and rebuilt the administration, we basically took everyone's job, all of the tasks. I did this. I, I took all of the jobs, the tasks that they do on any given day, and I just reassigned them and built job titles. And then everybody came into the office one by one and said, now this is your job. Now this is your job. And in that way, we kind of redefined the way that the company operated uh, for the for the better, I think. Like, I think it's a, a much stronger organization than it was two years ago because everyone's very uh, 
the roles that people do are very defined and they really understand what their responsibilities are, which I think is, is an important thing. It's no different than being a student in a class where you kind of feel like, I'm not sure like what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, like a, if a teacher or a parent or whoever is very specific about what someone's job is, what someone's roles or responsibilities are, then they will feel comfortable in the fact that when they complete them, they have accomplished something. Exactly. Like a very clear, like, I know I'm being successful because I can. Yeah. What are my expectations? I've succeeded. You know, I've done those things and I've succeeded. So I don't often ask this, but you said earlier, (laughs) you said to settle is a big mistake. And um, Mm -hmm. so I'm curious if you have an idea or have thoughts as to, you know, what are you looking forward to in the future? Like what sort of dreams do you have for becoming Brett Christopher in, you know, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm also a painfully present focused person, (laughs) so I don't necessarily build intentionally. Mm. And so, you know, as I would say, and this is just a a personality trait more than anything, I'm very much, it's funny because we're right now going through a strategic planning uh, exercise for the organization, kind of plotting out the next five years. And yeah. that's like, that's challenging for me as a person because I'm very much like, you know, it'd be great if we did this thing right now. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we need this money. Let's find that money and do it. It's very kind of like present. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I've been asked that same question that you just asked. It's sort of like, okay, what what does this look like for you five years from now? And honestly, I don't, I don't go there. I just go, I'm going to do this thing that I'm doing right now, the best that I can do. And it'll lead to something else or it'll lead to a different version of this role or the organization may change in some way. Like whatever that is, my assumption is that there will be new opportunities down the line that, that are a part of the thousand playoffs or not part of the thousand playoffs, but it's never, you know, never to sit, sit down and just go like, okay, I'm done. That's great. I'm going to do my job now. And that's it. Mm-hmm. No, it's just not as exciting. But yeah, no, I honestly don't know. I don't. I don't look ahead. It's it's a horrible way, especially when you're thinking about pensions and things like that. When you start, when you get to 46, right? It's sort of like, oh wow, I'm gonna need some money when I retire. <laughs> Am I gonna retire? People in the arts don't really retire. You just keep going until yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. except for you know the roles and all that stuff starts to dry up and starts <laughs> to get more and more quieter and slower and anyway. That's actually a really interesting thing. I hadn't even thought about that, you know, as you like in acting because, mm-hmm. you know, there are, you know, certain roles that you maybe need to be a particular age for. Yeah. Like how that how that changes as you as you get older. Yeah, my hope is that like I haven't acted for a couple of years because mm-hmm. I've been so focused on this. Uh, however, I do love to act. It is really like I love the, as we were saying, the the art of creation, the art of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And I I would say probably if I was really to to imagine what fifteen years forward from now looks like, it probably once my kids are established. Again, so much of my life right now is also wrapped up in family. So mm-hmm. once my kids are established and they are on their own path and doing their own thing, whatever that path may be, uh, that I might go back to performance as like a whatever older man and and see what might be out there but but right now i really don't have much flexibility in terms of travel in terms of spending long periods of time away just because i don't want to be away from my family mm-hmm. you know but eventually when my wife and i quote unquote retire when she retires then we'll have a lot more flexibility in terms of 
going places. Well, I guess to end off um, mm-hmm. with all the experiences that you've had, what advice would you have for young people or anyone who's trying to chart their path in life? Uh, you know, a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of younger people that I talk to about jobs or at least their path is to say that they're, they're really, as cliched as it sounds, there really is something out there for every single person mm. that will that will fulfill them as a human being and and, and that they will feel like they are really making an impact. Uh, And that is different for every single person. So like to kind of look at Kendall Jenner's life on Instagram and say like, I want that. It's like that, that is something that she did, right? That's her path. And it's a weird circuitous path through the Kardashians and onward and somebody else's path, you know, like Justin Bieber, he became famous because he posted a bunch of stuff on YouTube and did it. Well, that was a different path and a different time. And, and that's completely different. I feel like as long as no one, my suggestion for somebody who is out there, who is younger is just, a, don't ever give up. There is always going to be something. There's going to be something out there. You just have to keep trying different things. And once one, at one point, that thing will pop up that really you can dig into and you go like, this is it. This is my thing. You know, this really makes me excited. And that eventually may change. But like in that moment, really dig into it and have some fun. Um, otherwise... I would say, you know, just so many friends of mine have, especially in the arts, have found like either they didn't finish high school or they didn't finish university. And there's a lot of that right now, a lot of the discussion right now, because, you know, you get Mark Zuckerberg or whoever dot com millionaires saying like, "Eh, I didn't do high school. You know, I'm just like an entrepreneur and I became a billionaire because of I'm so smart or I had this great idea. And I actually think that's a huge mistake as well. As much as I've said, like, try this, try that, try everything. I do feel like establish an established education, even if it's an arts degree at a university is you also learn about how to investigate stuff. You learn about how to socialize with people. You learn a whole bunch of stuff beyond just the classes you are taking. So maybe my degree in sociology, I'm not a sociologist, whatever that is. I didn't end up with with going down that path, but my degree is still a really important component in who who I am. And truthfully, a lot of jobs you apply for, that's on, do you have a university degree? They don't even care what degree it is. Do you have one? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I always suggest to people that they pursue education as long as they feel they are, it is necessary and then continue to try other things, you know, hobbies and like I did, try, try making a play, try painting a picture, whatever it is, music, you know, just try different things. Just don't uh, buy a restaurant. Don't buy a restaurant. <laughs> and if you do, don't call me. <laughs> well, Brett, it was it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you again for just taking time to uh to share your story. Oh, thank you. So that's it for my conversation with Brett Christopher. If you want to connect with Brett, you can find him on Twitter at Kingston Brett, and you can also find out more about the Thousand Islands Playhouse on their website at www.1000islandsplayhouse.com. Thanks and see you next week.